0: hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Digital Intercourse, the shame-busting podcast from the buckle of the Bible Belt. My name is Tom King, and I am here with my responsibly seductive (laughs) co-host, Lauren Turner. Hey, Tom. Hey, Lauren. How are you? Doing well. How are you? Oh, I'm good. Good. It's it's mid-September. It's still hot. Oh,
1: fuck. I'm
0: ready ready for it to cool off because it's football season.
1: I'm ready to cool off because, frankly, my armpits stink. Probably right now.
0: Well, that's convenient because our guest today is a person who also enjoys football and whose armpits stink. Always. <laughs> Comedian Always. and attorney, C.R. Parsons. Hey, what's
2: going on, guys?
0: Doing well? How are uh, you?
2: I'm doing well. It's good to be on a podcast where I do not have the most southern accent, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I mean, most of the time I listen back to podcasts that I'm on, and everybody sounds normal, and I sound like I'm talking like this. <laughs> <laughs> so it's
1: nice to have you on
2: this podcast, Tom. Roll Tide, uh, totty
1: Mississippi, Alabama. Right. Right. totty okay. that's right. Okay, okay, that's
2: right. Uh, yeah, we have we have had quite the rivalry. In fact, I can remember. Explicitly the first time I met Tom (laughs) I was hosting an open mic And it was my job to give the rules of the open mic And one of the rules is don't heckle the comics Unless they ask you to say something Keep your mouth shut And just enjoy the show I am then sitting in the sound booth And I introduce Tom Go back to the sound booth Tom goes on stage And as Tom does, I'm sure all the time Even on here If something strikes him, he'll go Roll Tide now I say that with a lump in my throat every time I say it. <laughs> Surprised
0: you got it out, frankly, yeah. and, and
2: without hesitation. I didn't even think about it. I immediately went, "Hotty toddy," <laughs> and. His eyes got big and he went, Holy shit, there's one here. Uh, it was just, it was one of those things. I'm like, I just broke my own rules, but it happened so instantly.
1: <laughs> Can't help it. He even wore this old Miss shirt just to he rub did. it in your face. He did. Sorry. It feels Actually, intentional. I didn't
0: even think about that. Of course That's not. Funny. It's just the shirt that yeah. you wear. <laughs> Ole Miss. It's kind of
2: like when we beat OSU in the cotton bowl or in the sugar bowl. Yeah. And, and everybody was so mad at me for a week for walking around in my old Miss <laughs> shirts. I'm like, I wear these all the
0: time. Yeah, you're only just noticing it. (laughs) Exactly. Well, we're going to get right into it. Today's episode, we're going to talk about uh, prosecuting and trying and going to court sex crimes. So it'll be a real funny episode. Yay, yes. We always Uh, find a way. We do. Uh, So, let's get to know a little bit about you, comedian and attorney. Uh, Let's go right to the basics. Where are you from? Where'd you go to church?
2: Uh, I am originally from Mississippi, uh, born in Gulfport, raised around Oxford. Moved here in '78, so I, I grew up around here. Uh, I'm a Church of Christ boy, which means uh, very conservative. Yep. Uh, we we were the church that didn't use instruments and didn't believe in the Holy Spirit, according to most people. Uh, <laughs> so that's that's the that's the religious tradition I grew up in.
1: C O C is interesting though, because each church makes its own um, kind of rules. Absolutely, right?
2: absolutely. They are they they are not only non denominational, they are they are non-intertwined. Yeah, uh, they they are all standalone congregations with no uh, official laity, no no hierarchy of any kind.
1: I feel like you just go. You have to if you don't know anything about one, you just have to show up and see. Like, what's the surprise about this one? <laughs> oh yeah,
2: oh yeah. In fact, the, there were times because, oddly enough, I I went to a Church of Christ here in Tulsa that was considered liberal to the. A lot For of Oklahoma. Churches of
3: Christ. <laughs> yeah.
2: For a lot of Churches of Christ across the country. And so when we would travel on vacation and what have you, if we just found a Church of Christ and walked in, we never knew whether we were walking into a friendly Church of Christ or a non-friendly Church of Christ <laughs> because they thought we were heathens because we, I don't know, uh, had more than one song leader or something <laughs> stupid like that. Yeah,
1: that's yep. where the devil gets his powers, yeah. C.R. exactly,
2: <laughs> exactly. You cannot clap in church. What are you thinking?
1: <laughs> God hates happiness. He hates fun. Yeah. So did you grow up in a more conservative and then found your way to a more liberal, liberal version or
2: I, I grew up in in what would be considered a very liberal church of Christ, okay. but a very conservative overall religious upbringing. Uh to the nth degree. I mean, my, my parents were conservative their entire lives. I still hold some highly conservative values because of my upbringing. Uh, but I, I consider myself fairly moderately liberal mm-hmm. uh, while, while being on the conservative side. It, it's, it's an odd dichotomy that goes on in my head When it comes to liberal and conservative politics. Because I don't care who gets married. I don't care who sleeps with who. I I care if somebody has to pay for something that they don't agree with. Mm -hmm. But just because if it's not a right, they shouldn't have to pay for it. If somebody is choosing to make a choice they don't agree with. Other than that, I'm like, live and let live. I I am very laissez-faire when it comes to social politics.
1: Well, and you're right, there's a difference between conservative politics and, like, having conservative values. I was actually having this conversation at work, like, you can value family and Mm -hmm. those kind of more, like, in that neighborhood and have liberal politics. Right. So there's, there's like, a divide there. It's a different
0: thing. There is. There is. I hear you. So what made you want to start practicing law? Um, A fortune cookie.
1: Is that for real? No, that is is
2: an (laughs) honest-to-God true story. These guys have heard me tell this on stage, but it is an honest-to-God true story. Uh, When my wife and I got married, I had been going to school part-time because I was not a good student when I first started, and I had to recover some of my (laughs) college credits. Uh, So I was going to school part-time, and when we got married, we sat down at dinner one night and were discussing whether I would quit and go back to school full-time and get it over Or continue part-time, and it would take me a decade to get my degree. And uh, we had been bouncing around. I told her, if I'm going to go back, I'm going to go back as far as I'm going to go, which means law school or med school, one or the other. Uh, I had done laboratory work, uh, chemical work, not as a chemist because I didn't have a degree, but that type of work. And, And I did not think medical was the direction I wanted to head, so I was already leaning toward law. But seriously, we cracked open our fortune cookies. Hers had the little Chinese writing said ter- or said teacher, and that's what she does. And mine had the little Chinese writing and said attorney, and she said, that's it. You're going to law school. Like, here we go. She still has those to this oh day. She carries them with her in her pocketbook.
1: I love that story. Yeah. It's, it's so sweet.
2: Yeah, it's. It's ridiculous.
1: Sometimes you just have to let the universe kind of push you where you need to go.
2: Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it just pushes you off a cliff. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes it pushes you right into law school. It's great. Yeah, I I loved law school. Practicing law is okay. (laughs) I love love the academics of law. I love the theoretical of law. Once you get into the practical where I know every decision I make— actually has an effect on lives, then it begins to be a little overwhelming at times. And, and it's, that's where it really becomes work. And if you wonder why attorneys charge so much, number one, there's overhead, there's costs, there's all of that. But quite honestly, it's a lot of sleepless nights because every you feel like every decision you make from, do I send this piece of paper to somebody to can I not send this piece of paper to somebody it feels like a life-and-death decision.
1: Yeah, I would imagine the stress of like constructing an argument that is airtight and solid and thinking all the way around it to make sure no one can poke a hole in it. I imagine that is like very stressful.
2: The, the act of doing it is fun. Knowing the consequences of failing in some way is what's stressful.
1: Mm-hmm. I can... Understand that feeling. Like, yeah. I love um, social work ethics, mm-hmm. and I love to think through like theoretical ethical issues. But then, when you're facing one in your office, you're like, "No, no, I don't like this."
2: Right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, this 100%. is a fun thought
1: experiment.
2: Yes. 100%. Not a real experiment with
1: someone's life.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so that's that's yeah, it, it. Is what it is.
1: What kind of law are you practicing right now?
2: Um, I have focused mostly on criminal defense over the last several years. Um, I'm slowly beginning to shift as I'm on the road more and more doing stand-up. It's funny how your criminal clients don't want you calling them from a bar somewhere in the middle of nowhere, (laughs) uh, giving them advice. Uh, So I'm slowly shifting toward more paperwork-intensive law, uh, wills, estates, trusts. Uh, small business law that kind of thing I I do still do some criminal stuff I'm a general practitioner so I consider coming to me is like going to your general practice doctor and they do what they can and if it's beyond what they can do they try to point you to a, a specialist although in law you don't specialize like that
1: yeah I I feel like that's my approach to my work too it's like I like to know a little bit about all the things right instead of really committing myself to one thing i like I like that flexibility of being like well I can do many things mm-hmm. well maybe I'm not the best at all of them but yes um criminal defense yeah that is intense
2: I if you had asked me when I went to law school if I would ever be a criminal defense attorney I would have told you there was no way in hell those people are shysters. All they do is try, to, is try to get people who have done horrible things off. They are the worst of the worst. Once I went through law school, I realized that they are the first line of defense for your constitutional rights. The only thing that keeps a cop from busting in your door and searching your house without a warrant is the fact that he knows anything he finds will be thrown out. Mm-hmm. Even even if he found a dead body, it would be thrown out because that's fruit from the poisonous tree. And so the only thing that, that keeps the government from overreaching, because the government has all the power, let's mm-hmm. face it. If the state of Oklahoma, if, if you are in a case where it's the state of Oklahoma... Versus you, which one do you think is more powerful? <laughs> yeah, or
1: the or the judge will think has more credibility. Exactly. You're already by the time you're charged, you're fucked. Uh, I mean, hopefully not, but that already yeah. like looks a certain way.
2: Exactly, and so and so for that reason, I realized that that a a quality defense is actually a extremely necessary thing in the law, even more so than a prosecutor. I love the prosecutors. I love what they do. They're good at their job, but they can put blinders on, and and as a defense, you cannot.
1: Yeah, I think that it seems like they're shysters until you realize that the legal system is inherently unfair to certain people.
2: The legal system is inherently unfair to everybody in the same way it it treats everybody theoretically the same. Now it's real bad in if you're black <laughs> in, in practice, that may not be the case but but the the law itself is the same for everybody. it's it's how it's applied that changes And that is where a lot of a lot of different things come into play from you know, Uh, personal biases, biases of juries, biases of judges, biases of the attorneys, the abilities of the attorneys, but that is why we have so many checks and balances throughout the system with the right to appeal. You can absolutely lose your case and still have a right to appeal if you can prove a reason to appeal, Uh, and, and you can appeal multiple times if there are multiple issues. So there are there are checks in place. Now, does that mean it's not devastating? No, it it's devastating. But but I don't know of any way that it could be any better organized, but I think we are constantly working on trying to trying to make it better while I think it is the best currently available mm-hmm.
1: system. Sure. I think that what you're talking about all the bias gets in there and then there's like issues of access to justice so mm-hmm. like there is no money for indigent defense like if you don't have money you get a person who gets paid very little and may have varying levels of investment in your case and that's just not them being a bad person it's a capacity issue they don't have time to like look thoroughly and like really fight your fight for you um
2: I, I, know, I know that that is the case at times, uh, and I know that that is the perception, absolutely. Mm. But I can also tell you from somebody who's been in the courthouse and been working side-by-side side with uh, public defenders um, that they also have a more intimate knowledge of the prosecutors that they are working with because they are working so many cases. So whereas somebody may come to me with, I may end up with one DUI per quarter. That public defender may be defending 30 DUIs this month, and he's going to be dealing with the same prosecutor. He's going to know those pro- that prosecutor's proclivities. He's going to know what he can do and what he can't do with that prosecutor that I may not know. Because of the day-in, day-out working relationship Mm -hmm. that they have, if he tells the prosecutor, no, I've talked to the client, I believe this is the case, We, we believe this to be the case, the prosecutor may have a relationship with him such that he won't go, okay, well, prove it in court, whereas... For me, who does not work with that prosecutor day in and day out and doesn't have that relationship, he's going to go, okay, I understand you have a responsibility as an attorney to be honest, but prove it in court, which means more costly, more time, all mm-hmm. of that. So there are, there are some positives to having a public defender and i say that only because i know how hard those public defenders work but yeah, i'm holy, not trying to
1: shit on them holy shit their dockets are huge that's what i'm saying yeah
2: huge i i can't imagine trying to handle their caseloads
1: yeah i can't i don't know how you would have the time like yeah you have to rely on personal connections cuz it's the only way you're going to get anything done yeah i would imagine
2: in some ways i i can i can say it has to be the case
0: Now, outside of public defenders, there are people that do this for money. Yes. And they advertise their law firms and their businesses. Yes. And I've noticed at the end of those commercials, they will say there is no claim made that the quality of legal representation is greater than the quality of legal representation performed by other services. Isn't that the point of a commercial, to prove that your quality is better than the quality of others? No.
2: (laughs) Why do they say that? Why is that happening? Because because you – I cannot say you – want to hire me because I am better or or can do something that somebody else can't do. You want to hire me because of my experience, because of my knowledge, because of the work that I'm going to put into it, because as an attorney, if I denigrate another attorney's work, that can have legal consequences.
3: Mm.
2: So, So I can't
1: speak about what anyone else is doing. I can only tell you that I'm qualified.
2: Exactly. I see. Exactly.
1: I can't speak about anyone else. I don't know what they're offering. I'm not one to say. It's a very like attorney thing to yeah. do.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like every time I'm on the phone with a client, if if I'm giving them a price for what I'm going to do, my, my common line is, I don't care whether you hire me or somebody else. You need an attorney to walk into court with you. Uh, that's just important. And here's what I would charge to do that. But I do not. I am saying this not because I want you to hire me specifically, but because I do not suggest you walk into court alone. And and that's just my C Y A thing.
0: That's good. I feel like there's a lot of C Y A in practicing law. It is all. So (laughs) you do. It is all C Y A. It is all covering your ass. Uh, well, let's let's get into it. What is the legal definition of rape? Ah, there,
2: there's more than one type of rape. Okay, there's more than one classification of rape. I brought my little handy dandy cell phone here so that I can look this up because I don't want to misstate anything. I'm going to start off with CYA. I see. Yes. <laughs> um, and so what I am what I am looking at here. We in Oklahoma have uniform jury instructions, which means that uh, when a case is going through trial, the prosecutor and the defense don't just get to say to a jury, here's what the law is. They actually have to give them a piece of paper that's, that lays out the elements of a crime. And in Oklahoma, those are uniform. They are standardized, and they, and that's what is given. Um, In other states, those are created on a case-by-case basis, Uh, not to the extent that there is no law, but to the extent that there, there can often be argument, significant argument, over even the wording of the elements of the law.
0: That seems highly problematic.
2: It it is, but...
1: That is the law, though, right? You're like, what does it mean? What does each word really mean?
2: Well, it depends on Mm. what the word is is. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That's that's exactly right. So, uh, rape in the first degree, the element is first, sexual intercourse. Second, with a person who was not the spouse of the defendant. Third, where the defendant was over the age of 18 and the victim was under the age of 14. Or... Third, where the victim was incapable through mental illness or other unsound mind, whether temporary or permanent, to give legal consent. Or, third, where the victim was intoxicated by a narcotic or anesthetic agent. Fourth, given by and with the knowledge of the defendant. Fifth, as a means of forcing the victim to submit. Or, third, where the victim was, at the time, unconscious of the nature of the act and in in fact was known by the defendant. Or... Third, where forced violence was used against the victim, another person, where forced violence was threatened against the victim, another person, and the defendant had the apparent power to carry out that threat of violence. So, that's a lot of things. Um, First, there's sexual intercourse, which, uh, just so you guys know, the way the law is written, sexual intercourse is strictly binary. It can only be between a male and female.
1: Really, because I thought that it was any penetration.
2: That is true for sexual crime. Okay, but but for for rape specifically, as I read it, because it specifies the penis and vagina,
3: Interesting. and and it
2: specifies the penis entry. As I read it, it it's set up as strictly binary. Now there's. Forcible sodomy, there's all uh, sexual battery, there's all kinds of other things. But specifically for this, this is the way I read it. Uh, now, again, I'm going to CYA here. Uh, I'm talking very generally. I am not talking any case specifics, and I am not giving any legal advice of any kind. Um, so what I am saying here is is to my understanding at the moment. That doesn't mean that it's right. That means that it is what I understand based upon my history and experience and education at the moment. Um, I'm wrong all the time. All the time. That's why I read. That's why I study. That's why I look into. That's why I'm reading as opposed <laughs> to just spouting off what I think rape is. Uh, because because I'm wrong all the time. Everybody is. Even attorneys. But we try our best to research to correct those wrongs as often as possible. So that's just my caveat there. Um,
1: what was the part about spouses or partners? Yes. What, are um, the, what, what does it mean? Like in a uh, explain it to the yeah. dummies. Okay.
2: Yeah. Uh, second with the cliff a, notes with a person who is not the spouse of the defendant.
1: Um, so if it is, then I'm like, what is this saying to me? Is it saying that like? I, I think practically, I would imagine it is hard to charge spousal rape, but it
2: is it is hard, but it is not impossible, and and that comes down to a, a consent matter. Um, there, there's a lot of other um, case law on it that has dealt more with that, but the the outright elements clarify uh, non-spouse. It, Let me... Spousal rape is a separate uh, Ouija. A uniform jury instruction Ouija. Uh, Spousal rape is a separate Ouija and it involves sexual intercourse with the spouse where force or violence are used against the victim and the apparent power to carry out that threat of force or violence.
0: Hmm.
2: So So kind of a
0: different charge but still a
2: crime. Exactly. Yeah, there there are let me see, we've got We've got first-degree rape, spousal rape, uh, second-degree rape, uh, rape by instrumentation, rape by instrumentation on a child, rape by instrumentation, second-degree rape by instrumentation, forcible oral sodomy, lewd acts and molestation, lewd acts and molestation against children. So there, each one is segmented out so that they have very specific elements. Okay. So. Uh, what, what I want to get across here is it is not easy to go, well, yeah, of course that's rape. Or, no, of course that's not rape. Unless you know those elements, each and every one of them for each and every crime.
0: And how important is it to get those specifics in, in terms of getting a conviction? Because it sounds like if you're Charging someone with maybe a slightly wrong crime, maybe we could have proved this, but we charged them with something a little different, and now we, we've busted our own case.
2: Yes, yeah, that is exactly what happens sometimes. That is exactly what happens sometimes. And um, I would have to look into, there are there are underlying crimes that can occur in a larger crime. Uh, for example, um trying to think of a good example. Um, uh, Robbery with a firearm. A a robbery is an underlying crime to robbery with a firearm. So if you charge somebody with robbery with a firearm, and that's not the Mm -hmm. right term for it, but you understand what I'm saying, um, you might be able to get the judge to give a jury an instruction of they were charged with robbery of a firearm, a lesser included offense would be robbery. So if you find that they committed robbery without a firearm, you can find them guilty of robbery. But you might not be able to find them guilty of something else that would have slightly different, uh, you know, if, if it's the elements for burglary instead of robbery and you charge them with robbery instead of burglary, then they're going to walk because because the prosecutor charged them with the wrong crime.
1: Right, like the DAs have to be very thoughtful about what they charge because it's to be like a attainable win for them, right? Like they're trying to make sure that it's a case they can win based on what is in... What you're talking about,
2: right? The the burden of proof is on the prosecutor, mm-hmm. so it's a matter of of can they prove the elements for a particular crime.
0: Uh, you also mentioned somewhere in that over a over the age of eighteen and you, on, under the age of fourteen. So where do we go with the the age of consent in Oklahoma? Okay, no,
1: that struck me. I'm like, is it fourteen?
2: This is where it gets a little complicated. The age of consent is 16, which means a 16-year-old can consent to have sex with anyone older than them.
0: Not younger than them? I mean, I know there's only so
2: far you can go with that. They they can consent to have sex with someone younger than them, but they, they they can consent to have sex with anyone older than them. Okay? So, uh... The typical question that comes up, what do you do with a 30-year-old that's fucking a 16-year-old? Yeah. Can I say that on here? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I assumed that was the case. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> so um, the, the reality is they probably are not committing a crime just by having sex with a 16-year-old unless they fit into a certain category of people like a teacher. Uh, a person working for a state agency while that 16-year-old is under any kind of state agency, a uh, person who would be responsible for the child, such as a guardian, a uh, step-parent, uh, an adult living within the household that is in a relationship with a guardian or step-parent. So if, if it's just two people independently, probably not illegal, Now. No. Are they taking some real risks that it could be found illegal? Sure, um, but that what you're dealing with there is called statutory rape, which is which is where it is in statute that that if this type of sex occurs, it is a violation of the law. It it's not that it can be if there's not consent. It's period. It's a violation. So. 16 is the age of consent. 16 can have sex with anybody from 16 older. Um, There is a Romeo and Juliet law in Oklahoma that says that if you are within two years of the age of the person, then there, there may be some flexibility in that. So, a fourteen-year-old is within two years of a sixteen-year-old,
1: so a fifteen and seventeen, exactly,
2: mm-hmm. exactly. <clears throat> so, so that comes into play. But if you're nineteen and they're fifteen, then you have a problem. Because, Not just
1: legal ones; you probably suck. Well, that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but, but. Because you are past—at 19, you are past the age of majority, which means you have restriction of 16, and that's a hard and fast restriction. Whereas when you are 18, having sex with a 15-year-old, not a big deal, because you're within that age range gap. Um, And and it may be more 17 moving to 18— but you understand what I'm saying. There's mm-hmm. there's that two year window there, the Romeo and Juliet rule, that that oh my God, we're so in love and even though we're children we can still do this.
1: I think that's fair. Like kids don't they don't know. Yeah. They're horny. We don't they don't know. Yeah. It's dumb <laughs> but not a crime. Now yeah.
2: <laughs> Now here's here's where it, it gets touchy, and that is let's say you are nineteen years old. And your girlfriend is 16. It's a three-year gap. It's not that big. It means you were a senior when she was a freshman. You've now gone off to college for a year. She's in her sophomore year of school. And you are sexting back and forth.
1: Child porn.
2: That, if there are any pictures sent back and forth, that can be considered child porn. And that would be illegal. If there, is, if there is talk of lewd acts, that can be considered lewd and lascivious behavior with a minor, which can be illegal. So, th- my, my statement is, if you are over 18, just don't do anything with anybody under 18. Yeah. It's that simple. Yeah. Uh, I know it can be tough, especially when you're at that age and in the throes of passion. Uh,
0: But there are huge risks involved. So I guess the the Romeo and Juliet law kind of covers it if you're both in high school and both underage and sexting. Or is that also considered child porn because now you have naked pictures of an underage person?
2: That could also be considered child porn. And yes, there there have been cases across the country. I do not know because I have not looked them up uh, of any cases in Oklahoma. There may have been one. But there are cases all across the country where a minor has been charged with possession of child porn because they had a picture of their naked girlfriend who was also a minor.
1: I have definitely heard of that happening to people. Like, what a life-ruining moment when you're just – you don't have a frontal lobe yet. You're just a dumb (laughs) motherfucker at that point. You don't know anything. You're not thinking about that. You're just like, titties. Give me those titties. You know, like that should not ruin your life. Yeah. I have a question about statutory cases. Yes. Do they require a victim cooperate with the prosecution?
2: Um, believe it or not, most of these cases do not require a victim cooperate with the prosecution. Everybody say they
1: wouldn't. They wouldn't. Everybody makes the assumption.
2: Let's let's separate statutory and non statutory. Um, statutory it's a matter of can it be proven that it that it occurred? It does not matter how it's proven that it occurred. If it can be proven that it occurred, then then you can be charged. The non-statutory, everybody makes the assumption that if, you know, something happened and, well, she's not, she's not going to talk to the cops. She's not going to talk to the cops. Well, that's all well and good. But if there's a rape kit and it points fingers... They don't have to have her testimony. They can use that evidence. It, not everything requires eyewitness testimony and, and in-person testimony. Uh, if, if they have enough evidence outside of that person, then they can continue to charge. And they can compel that person to come in. You know, that person can say, I don't want to press charges, but that doesn't necessarily stop a prosecutor from being able to press charges. It just it just indicates the willingness of the of the victim.
1: Yeah, and I wonder if they're not. Well, I think it's hard enough to get people to prosecute any of these crimes. Like it's hard enough to get them to take the case. It seems like these. I
2: don't know. I,
1: I don't know what your experience. And a lot of this is perception, right? Yeah. And. Um and what we know also is that most things get resolved in a plea agreement before they ever sure, reach that's, that that's phase. the case
2: with all different types of cases and and that has to be the case because otherwise the the judicial system could not work it
1: would collapse we it, don't have the resources exactly, to do it all
2: exactly if you had to have a jury trial for every case that was charged Jeez. then You think it's bad getting called for jury duty once every, I don't know, five, ten years? Go once a week. How about, yeah, how about once a week?
1: (laughs) I think my point was that I don't know that um, with them having to be selective about what they bring, Mm -hmm. if a victim is unwilling, and a lot of times these cases, there might not be a rape kit or any, like, substantial evidence outside of a claim made by someone maybe some other contextual things Mm -hmm. that without that cooperation they're probably not going to right if it's too hard
2: if it's a he said she said case then then yes the cooperation of a witness is going to weigh heavily in the decision to continue prosecution or not
1: but there's a lot of reasons as a victim you – and it's not that that person didn't do it, but there's a number of reasons that you might not want to testify.
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: So it's not saying like, oh, this is not that important to me or you did not do it. It's just I can't make myself go through this awful process.
2: I, I get that. The, the difficulty is on the other side, you've got somebody whose life is equally being ruined by a claim. And, and the, just the charge of something like rape is a life-ruining thing. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the, the idea that the seriousness of the charge is enough to push forward or anything like that can't be because it is so easy to make a claim and and so devastating one way or the other that you can't allow that to stand and and I know this is very non-pc of me but the whole believe her movement as far as I'm concerned as a as a defense attorney who sees the day in day out of what this does to people that is the biggest crock of shit that you can possibly believe exists because to to have that as a standard even in your own personal life means that you are making a judgment based upon one partial part of one story and that that to to allow somebody's life to be permanently destroyed by a effective rumor we can't have that happen
1: I hear you <clears throat> so <But>. what <laughs> I, I, I I knew
2: you would you would have an issue with that but the I, fact I, is
1: it's not um I hear I totally get like and I especially think that there are some bad actors who will weaponize this kind of movement forward but you're saying like these people's lives were destroyed on a claim well like a lot of women's lives have been destroyed because of like sexual violence and them being powerless oh sure in that situation sure. so i see it more as like let's weigh women's work like when it's he said she said the she says should weigh as much as the he said and that has not been the case in the past
0: a lot Socially of the- or legally yeah, and I think a lot of that perception that has led us to the, the Believe Her movement or whatever you call it uh, has been so much of how how difficult it is to come forward and making it making it kind of – I mean, there has been a, an element of victim blaming that has existed. So where, how do we make that shift ethically where we can take a, a claim that something has happened and take that credibly mm-hmm. but also not not go too far in the other direction where we're just immediately – you're a rapist before trial or evidence.
2: Let let me let me move let me move the conversation slightly. Instead of making it a, a claim about her on her with him as the perpetrator. Let's make the claim about their child. If if you knew how many divorce cases end up with a charge of child sexual predation Mm -hmm. then you would realize that there are a lot of people willing to lie about a lot of things or willing to see things in a way that just is not the case.
1: Including people might feel compelled to lie about, you know, raping people. Sure. You know, like...
2: But, But that is something where the, the person making the claim, the, the mother making the claim, chances are is not facing the same risk as if she were making a rape claim. She's, she's not at, at as much social risk of making a claim that her 2BX molested the children. But yet we see so much so many claims that just are not valid in that, just for the upper hand, that, that I, I understand that there have, there have been inequalities with, with the ability to get into court, but I think those inequalities are in as good a position today as they have ever been, if not better than ever, and so to, to automatically assume that one is true, you have to automatically assume that the other is lying. And, and that, if, if you begin to do that, then you take away the entirety of innocent until proven guilty.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for me it's just like, let's weigh the evidence in a more fair way. But at that Um, point,
2: you don't have the evidence. Right. You have a claim.
1: And I think what we know statistically is we, while in that case, I think it is true people make a lot of false claims. But that's because it's about what you get financially from your ex and child custody. And it's wrapped up in all this other shit. Like, what we know about claims, like an adult woman making a claim about sexual assault is that they typically are not lying. Um there is no, there's no benefit, right? There's just a lot of, like, what benefit if someone harasses me on this, someone, like, assaults me? Mm -hmm. I get no benefit. I don't get more child support from my ex, more time with my children. There is no, like, benefit other than justice being served, right? Like, so when women make the decision to come forward in those cases, I think... Like, I don't know. There's like, think about Christine I, Blasey Ford. I don't. What know. was the benefit for her? There was none. In the Kavanaugh. Yeah,
2: like, I I, yeah. I know who she is. I was I making sure. sure. Trust it's me, been. I know who
1: she is. Uh, well, you know, like the news cycle. Sometimes it's like, wait, that was two weeks ago. So much has happened, and that was actually a while ago. So. Yeah.
2: Um. There are benefits to being a victim in general.
1: Yeah.
2: I know it's it's ugly, but there are benefits to being a victim in general. Like what? The the perception that oh you you poor thing. The emotional benefit of being oh you're so brave, you you did such a great thing by bringing this up and and that type of thing is is a emotional benefit potentially. And and again,
0: it's such a small benefit, and you get just as much of that on the other side of oh she was a slut she was sure she deserved sure. it she, she oh would... no
2: I'm 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 not saying that I'm not saying that both sides don't lie like <laughs> yes. hell right yes <laughs> I'm not saying both sides don't lie like hell I'm just I would be the same way if if you had if you had a guy making the claim that he was sexually assaulted
3: mm-hmm.
2: I don't care who the victim is. You just cannot automatically assume that because you've heard a claim that it's true. Because because at that point, there is no evidence. All you've got is a claim.
1: So both of our kind of, like, positions aside, we do know that women are not likely to come forward. Um, and if they do, the justice system, like has not you said it's in the best position it's ever been would you say it's like as good as it should be oh never so i think the question then becomes like i'm learning this lot in my job like it doesn't matter what is the path forward then like whatever our position is about how the state of things are is whatever but what steps as as an attorney and someone who's operating inside the system like what changes would make it more fair to everyone involved
2: well, I think we've already covered access to justice, yeah. access to quality legal representation. Mm-hmm. Um, that that is a big one. That is a big one. Uh, beyond that, quite honestly, it's it's beyond my realm mm-hmm. to to know what to do to fix what's broken.
1: Yeah, I just think there's so many barriers. Like, so you were talking about a rape kit, and I just started watching um, a new. It's like a mini-series. It's like eight episodes on Netflix called Unbelievable, I believe is the name of it. of this. So it's about a rape case with very <clears throat> little to no forensic evidence. Uh-huh. And I haven't gotten deep enough into the story. Like, there were New Yorker articles about this. It was a pretty well-known case. Um, I couldn't get past the first ten minutes because it was her getting a rape kit done. Mm-hmm. And the trauma of that is un. i was just like no 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 like she just went through this assault and they're sticking swabs in all of her holes and like the whole and they're very like curt about kind of what happened to her they're like you might want to kill yourself next week i don't know okay bye have a good day (laughs) you know it's just a very like traumatizing experience in itself So there's all these kind of barriers, and then you have to go face your accuser. Well, like, holy shit. Assuming this did happen, that's like an awful experience for someone.
2: But I think it's necessary.
1: Yeah, totally. It's
2: absolutely necessary, because otherwise, uh, you say, what benefit is it to the victim? What risk is it to the victim if they don't have to stand up and support what they've made the claim on?
1: Yeah, I, I'm thinking about, uh, what is the guy who just moved over to the Patriots? And then there was an... Uh, Antonio Brown. Right, and then there was an immediately a accusation against him about sexual misconduct. You know, I think sometimes these things look a certain way. And there should be some, like... A friend of mine works for OSBI, so Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation. And she posted something that was like, I just want to see the facts. And I was like, Yeah great like that's very fair
2: yeah, yeah. i do think <clears throat> but that I, that's where i have issue with the with the believe the victim mentality is you don't have any facts yet
1: i think it's to me it's believe all women is more a Like I said earlier, it's like, let's weigh these as equal. Because I think rape is the only crime where we're looking to give the perpetrator a way out. Like, if someone robs, like, culturally, I don't know within the legal system, but I feel like judges, like in Brock Turner's case, right? It's like, we're looking to give, we're like, but these contextual factors, he didn't mean it, da-da-da, like, uh, or she's a slut, or blah-blah-blah. It's the only case where we try to, like... There's this weird rhetoric around it, and so
2: mm-hmm. I don't I don't know that that is the case because any any time you have uh, any time you have a potential defendant, you are always looking at if they did it, what brought it about, did they have any control over whether or not they did it, if they if they didn't have any control over, why not? Is this something that needs to be considered in the court? Uh, You know, does the fact that the person was starving mitigate the fact that they stole bread? You know, so I think there are other types of cases that have all of those mitigating factors. They're just not as heavily charged uh, emotionally as a sexual assault or sexual crime case.
0: I, I think the emotions behind it definitely have a lot to do with how we talk about it and view about that stuff. So, from a social standpoint, not outside the courtroom, yes, how we how we perceive things.
1: I just think like if someone's trafficking meth, most people are like, no one's like, yeah, well, he didn't, he didn't know. (laughs) 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 Like, no one's looking to give him cover, right? Like, like we try to in a lot of these cases. And there's no great, and maybe not within the criminal justice context, but within a cultural context.
2: Well, but. But you, you do, because if, if somebody's trafficking in meth, the range of penalty for that is X number of years to X number of years, and you are, you are going to present to the jury evidence for why, as a defense, you're going to present evidence for why, even if he did it, here's the mitigating factors why it ought to be this sentence instead of this sentence and the prosecutor is going to do just the opposite. So, so it's it's not as in your face as oftentimes in these sexual assault cases because they are so in the in your face in general. They are in the news every time all the time. But I think all all of that is considered even on those types of cases.
1: Yeah, I think I even wonder into my mind's wandering kind of into like domestic violence Uh issues Uh and like, Oh my God, those are just like the most messy, like, and so from a research perspective, we have like no data on it except for homicides because there's no, like we're not good at capturing what's actually happening in those situations. And, Ugh, because like short
2: short of George
0: Orwell, you can't
1: right. It's just so impossible. Yeah, yeah. It is so impossible. Like I, it, it's it, one of the things that drives me. Which crazy. is worse? George Orwell is worse than what we have now. Like right. Yes. <laughs> well, I, I I agree with that.
2: The the thing is, everybody everybody agrees that George Orwell is worse than what we have now, but yet everybody is gladly giving into Orwellian policies, mm-hmm. and and the fact is. Uh, I guarantee you we could track your movement from wherever you came from to come here all the way here probably all the way to the door of this office
1: my iPhone does it's like hey are you going over there right now and I'm like you bastard
2: exactly yeah. <laughs> exactly so we are we are we are voluntarily agreeing to orwellian to avoid this messiness
1: yeah I think that's the thing right like the justice system will never be perfect because it involves people. Right. <laughs> it's going to be messy. Yeah. It's always going to be.
0: Well, when people make the, like some, the, the joke that, oh, yeah, the government's going to make us have chips implanted in our head. No, they're not. They're going to have us lined up around the rock waiting to pay $700 to have a chip implanted in our head. <laughs> That's
2: right. That's right. Uh, what Somebody recently put a chip in their hand or their wrist for their Apple Pay and paid uh, for something that way. Ish. Uh, their workplaces is already
1: doing it. I saw their workplaces that that's how you clock in and out and all that. They track when your chip is on the campus. Like, it's very creepy. Yeah, no. I think what this comes down to, th- what I just wrote down is nuance, right?
2: Absolutely. Like, absolutely.
1: If you take, if you, and I, I hope that's the problem with, so I am as progressive as it comes. We were having conversation before this started about, Someone calling me a TERF, right? A trans-exclusionary feminist. Fuck you, bitch, wherever you are. Um, (laughs) But it kind of comes down to, like, we are, as progressives, trying to kind of codify our beliefs. Mm -hmm. And it's becoming dogmatic. It is becoming a rule. And if you – shame to you if you – blah, blah, blah. So, like, with Me Too (sighs) – It's, like, how do you get people to understand some of the nuance and the complication that goes behind this? That it's not a hard and fast rule. It's, like, not saying believe everything a woman says without ever questioning it. Like, I don't believe that either. Right. Right? Right? So there's more nuance behind both of our kind of perspectives. Exactly. Um, And so how do you get people to deal with that kind of complexity because what we're always trying to do as people is boil it down to a black and white kind of rule and path we can follow and it's just not that simple. Nothing in life never works is. that way.
2: No, never is. Yeah. Never is. I think and 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 that's and that's the the difficulty with with both political sides, both social sides any anybody who creates a A buzz word or buzz something they are boiling it down to something so simple that it cannot be fully understood, and then people are taking that and running with the simple as if it's reality
1: right I, it, what I said to that woman, yes, yesterday was like this shit right here is why I don't go to church anymore, yeah, and yet here I am. Like being shamed and you know judged and all of this in a movement that's supposed to like not be that yeah it is very frustrating yeah it, like, it is I mm, we're not good at dealing with that gray area but that is all life is
2: yeah life is all gray areas and and so when you when you boil things down to whatever it is uh, you know um, whatever the the buzz term is of the day you are doing a disservice to your own thought processes
1: have you taken on any cases like in this kind of realm of sex crime have you defended anyone
2: yeah i have i have i've i've defended uh rape charge i've defended child molestation charges i've defended sexual uh spousal sexual battery charges uh several of them yeah
1: can you discuss those in vague enough terms that doesn't violate any thing? Uh,
2: largely, I mean, uh, I I won't get into any details of any case. I can tell you they are all devastating, mm-hmm. all the way around. Um, they are hard to they are hard to listen to. Um. And until you hear a child describe sexual behavior that they should not know yeah,
1: that shit is rough
2: and, and trying to keep in mind that they may have all of that information because it occurred to them they may have all of that information because they have an internet and you know I don't care what you say, six, seven-year-olds know how to find stuff on the Internet. And Internet companies who deal in um, pornographic material are spectacular at getting it noticed in places that it's not expected, mm. you know. Um, what was it? It used to be there was, there was a government website I can't remember which one it was. It wasn't White House, but it was one of them. That if you if you type .org I, instead of .gov,
1: that's yes.
2: It was a porn site. I
1: oh literally <laughs> was thinking about this today because I was using my dad's work laptop. Like at the we had dial up at that point. Yeah, and I went to whitehouse.com. Uh-huh. I was a, probably a freshman in high school. And it was a porn site. And then my dad, and I had already been caught looking at porn, like, let's be real. So when my dad was like, what the fuck is this? I was like, this time it was legitimately a mistake. Yeah. This instance. Okay. Like, the rest I did on purpose. This I did not.
2: Um, I, I, had a, uh, I had a family member. I won't say niece, nephew, grandchild, or whatever. <laughs> I had a family member um, innocently look up on their computer one day uh, pictures of beavers. Oh, no. uh. <laughs> <laughs> that was going you'd be amazed what popped up um, <laughs> now
0: were these were these furry had they been shaven <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: most of them most of them were furry but the shaven ones were the ones that were shocking yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: <laughs> you could really see a lot
2: yeah you could when you, you clear could. the
0: brush were they on the, on, the, like on the bank, or had they gotten wet?
2: Uh, most of them had gotten wet. <laughs> most of them had gotten wet. Uh, a, a couple of them, I, I think, were not yet wet, uh, just because of the difficulty of movement of the beaver. Um, but, yeah, I think most of them were wet.
1: That's true. It's really easy to stumble across <laughs> Yeah, all kinds of things. But, and,
2: and, oh, so, and so then you, you combine that with a child's imagination, and you you can honestly have children describing things as if they occurred that have never occurred mm-hmm. but you have to dig into those details and 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 talk about not pretty yeah talk about not pretty um yeah it's just it's not and and the claims of sexual assault you have to as, as the attorney you have to read through all of these detailed claims Mm -hmm. and all and usually I, I say usually often there are two sides to every story and both sides are not pretty uh you know I've I've seen cases whether it was mine or somebody else's um where the initial claim was sexual battery one direction when you listen to the story, there was clearly sexual battery both directions. And the question then became when did it become Mm non-consensual? And you talk about gray areas. Let's talk about gray areas. You know, um, when when mid-act consent is taken away,
0: how do you deal with that?
1: We've had conversations about that for sure.
0: Yeah. And we've had... I've heard stories in uh, kink and stuff of someone doing a rope scene mm-hmm. and then either consent was taken away, but the top didn't recognize that right, or ignored it, or in other situations where consent was given with the use of a condom mm-hmm. and then the top chose not to use a condom. Mm-hmm. How, how do you define – let's look at that one specifically hypothetical situation of I said I could use a condom, you didn't. That is that technically rape? How do you deal with that if that comes up in a case? Um, in, in a case,
2: I don't believe, again, not looking into the details, I would have to look into the details of a individual case to respond specifically. But generally I believe that would come across as sexual battery as opposed to rape because there was consent for the act but not for the way the act was performed. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and and so that's, that's, I think, where that would come down, potentially. You know, that's where it gets... You talk about gray areas. You're talking yeah. about a lot of gray areas. Now, in, in the kink community itself, I know there's a lot of discussion about consent, and there's a lot of actual, positive, conformational, affirmational consent ahead of time. Right. Um, but in the non-kink world...
1: We're not good about discussing it. That doesn't happen. Yeah.
2: yeah. And, and it's not going to.
1: I think that's the big lesson. And it's not going to, mm-hmm.
2: though. That's the thing. I don't think it's going to happen because, because there is something about the chemicals that are rushing through our bodies that will not allow us to stop, put a break on everything and go, wait, let's discuss. Let's go through and check mark by check mark. Let's let's both become lawyers or let's both call our lawyers <laughs> and walk through this contract of what we're going to do over the next, you know, five to seven minutes.
1: I, I think it doesn't have to be so, like, um, you can just be like, hey, can I kiss you? Like, it doesn't have to be such a, and then in each stepping, like, is this okay? Not making it a whole, and it's like, yes or no. I mean, right. I, I do that. <clears throat> like, I we'll just quickly ask for permission it's not a it's not it might be already in motion I'm like is this okay not a now I was gonna put a hold on pause the thing I was gonna put a finger in is that cool can we do one two three how many you know like but I do think we can be imp- I think there's ways to teach people to do it where it's not like a it's not like the Dave Chappelle skit where they're like signing the sex contract before you know so why do you – because you're aware of kind of pre-negotiations
0: in the kink community, mm-hmm. but you seem very skeptical about that happening outside of kink. Why do you think kink people are able to do it and non-kink people wouldn't?
2: Because I think there is an openness to the discussion
3: mm-hmm.
2: that is is much less – It's it's not only much less stigmatized, it's actually encouraged. And I don't think the general populace who are not – as comfortable with that, have the ability to have that open and honest conversation.
1: Like the people that are fucking this up, are you saying they're so far away from like where this is?
2: Potentially, I yeah. mean, trust me, there are problems in the kink community <laughs> yes, too. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. there's
0: still people, and people yeah. still fuck up. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, and down um,
3: <laughs> upside down. Sometimes we don't know.
2: <laughs> no, we do. Yeah, that too. <laughs>
3: uh,
2: but. But I, I think just the the fact is I if we as a society are ever comfortable enough to have that conversation on a regular basis it's not a society any of us would recognize.
1: I feel like you have to start teaching about it in sex ed. Like so so you like, first have to start having sex right, ed. Right, <laughs> right. Like but in European countries they talk about like their sex ed is super comprehensive. It's like about consent and pleasure and orgasms and like relationships and like how you have a healthy relationship with people. Like you have to start teaching people that so young and we can't even get people to talk about using a fucking condom like in schools.
2: But that, that does not necessarily correlate to that happening in real life. Mm -hmm. Those conversations happening in real life because again, again, Hormones are a scary son of a bitch. Uh, once, once hormones get to coursing, they are they are hard to control and understand even. And so, the the spontaneousness of action sometimes overrides even logical thought. That's not to say it's right. It just does.
1: Yeah, I <clears throat> I do think things i've read and absorbed over the last five years i think the needle has moved some sure but i think it's among people like you're saying who mm, i don't know maybe we're already doing a better job and we're more thoughtful about those things Mm -hmm. not maybe the people who are routinely like fucking up in this area Mm -hmm. but i do think we're moving and like just culturally there's more of a conversation and an awareness that Mm -hmm. like I think we've talked about this a lot, that if she doesn't say no, like, if she doesn't say no, then that's an implicit yes, mm-hmm. and there's been more conversation that that's not necessarily the case, and I think people are thinking about it more. It's like you're talking about, can we know how they're practicing it? Not without Orwellian kind of, yeah. like, going to those links to yeah. know, but... It does seem like maybe we're moving. Yeah. I think that's I one just, of the good parts of this. I whole just wonder if we thing. even
2: have the ability to communicate at that level because because if you are if you are in the middle of action with a partner and you ask that partner, "What do you want me to do?" and they say, "Surprise me." Does that mean anything's on the table?
1: I think the point is like you have these conversations when you're not horny.
0: Yeah. That's <laughs> That's right. the first step. Yeah. Right.
1: Absolutely. Like you don't yeah. wait till you're horny to you don't wait till you have a boner to have this conversation. Abs-
2: absolutely. But but are people even being honest with themselves is the question. Because I know there are people that have gotten into the kink community that before they were involved in the kink community, they would have never seen themselves doing anything like that because they were not even able to be honest with themselves, much less a partner. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like, we all have to get better about talking about our wants and needs and not feeling so creepy about it. I mean, it's crazy. Do we even know our wants and needs, though? Right. That's the question. And their
0: wants and needs and, change. And and, Elton and John married a woman in the 80s. Well, <laughs> I was just supposed
2: to say, you've been open yeah. about it. Yeah. Uh, you know, within I, the
1: last year. I had to, like, give myself over and be like, Let's try something different. Yeah.
2: So, so three years ago, you couldn't even admit to yourself right. that that was your wants and needs. Right. No, totally. So you know, So, I just don't know that we can, I don't, know that, I don't know that we will ever get to a point where people even understand their own wants and needs to the level that they would have to to be able to have those conversations at that detail and, and specificity level.
1: Yeah, and it is it is funny to me. So, like, my partner, sometimes afterwards I'll want to discuss something, and she's like, no. <laughs> no, <Nope. laughs> moment's over, and I don't want to talk about it. Like, she gets very, like, oh, and I'm like, no, it's fine. We, You did it with me, so I don't know why <laughs> discussing it with me is, like, weird at like, all. We experienced yeah. it. We were looking at each other's eyes. Yeah. Um, but she does kind of, like, clam up after. I get it, like. It's, it takes some, for me, I have to be like, I will rise above the awkwardness (laughs) inside of me that does not want to talk about this, you know, like. Yeah. mm -mm, But yeah, I know people
0: Yeah, we have to try to be more honest with ourselves to allow us to be more honest with others. Uh, I want to ask you as a defense attorney, how honest are your clients with Mm. you? Does anybody be like, yeah, man, I did that shit. (laughs) A significant portion of
2: clients are very honest. And, and I, I tell them when they sit down in my office, you can lie to your mama, you can lie to yourself, do not lie to me because all I can do is prepare for what I know. And if you lie to me, that means I don't know something. And if I don't know, I can't prepare. And if I can't prepare, you're screwed.
1: Yeah. Like you're the only one who's going to lose in this situation. I'm still getting paid.
2: Right. And, and at the end of the day... Uh, this goes back to how, how I see an, a, what a defense attorney does so differently after law school than before. How I defend that case in large part does not matter whether or not they did it mm. because my initial defense of that case has little to do with them. It has to do with defending the system. Did the I's get dotted that have to be dotted? Did the T's get crossed that have to be crossed? Can the prosecution prove what they think they know? If you walked in and you said, Dude, I got in a hit and run last night. I was drunk and I hit a a car and I drove off. And you got arrested for that because they had a suspicion but they had no evidence of any kind, then they have not made their burden of proof. And I'm not doing that for you, because I don't give a fuck about you, personally. (laughs) I'm doing that for the guy who didn't do it, but gets arrested on suspicion, and needs somebody to say, no, you have to have proof. I'm not defending you at that point. I'm defending... The system that has to work.
1: So it's about the process, not the content.
2: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Now, at some point, it gets down to the details and the nitty gritty and and the specifics. And sometimes, then you have to defend somebody that you know did it in in ways that many civilians would consider potentially unethical.
1: Are you like, look over here?
0: Exactly. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> no, 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 not that. Over here.
0: Crank your knuckles and put on this real tight glove. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly.
2: But, you know, at at the end of the day, uh, all of that is necessary for the system to work.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: All of that is necessary. Because you have the prosecutor who has all of the power of the state pushing equally as hard the other direction. So you have to have that back and forth to come to any kind of stability. If one is too powerful then you're way over here and everybody's getting screwed. If the other is too powerful, then you're way over here and everybody's getting away with everything. Mm-hmm. So you have to have that back and forth. So I tell people, just be honest with me. Tell me what happened. It, Trust me, you're going to get a good defense either way. But if you're honest with me and tell me you did it, and I look at it and say they've dotted all their I's and crossed all their T's, then I can go in with the idea that we are trying to minimize the long-term damage to you.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: We're trying to make sure that this doesn't ruin your life forever, that you have an opportunity to uh, make recompense and and serve your time or whatever that requires.
1: You're like, we're just trying to deny you a felony conviction. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Or, like, maybe then I know let's try to get the best plea for you. Let's not even take it to that level because, like, exactly. I know you did it. Exactly. Exactly. That makes sense.
2: So, so I tell people all the time that you can lie to a lot of people, but your attorney is one person you should never lie to.
1: Yeah, that makes sense because you're the only one who's going to suffer the consequences. Exactly. You'll move on with your life. It yeah. doesn't matter.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Tomorrow, I'm not going to jail. Yeah.
1: Well, I feel like Unless there's... I say something
3: wrong to the judge.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Contempt.
0: Now, has your comedian ever come out in a courtroom where you're like, ah, oh, shit, that was the wrong time to be a smart ass? <laughs> uh, yeah.
3: <laughs>
2: it has. Uh, more more often than in the courtroom, uh, in chambers, uh, when talking to judges and what have you, because it, it gets a lot more, a lot less um, formal back in chambers. Because
1: court is like theater. To yeah. some extent. Yeah, it is. It is.
2: My, my joke is, you know, when, when I tell people I'm an attorney and a comedian, they're like, oh, those are very different jobs. I'm like, nope, same job, different audiences. <laughs> <laughs> um, court is a very much like theater. Um, and because of that, you have a different atmosphere in chambers. It's, it's a lot more professional, a lot more cordial, you know, um, generally speaking you're dealing with professionals who understand that they have a job to do and that you have a job to do and that you're not the same asshole that your client may be and you know well i can't say they're not the same asshole as the state because they are <laughs> the state at that point but um, <laughs> you know so there is there is some of that and and it's really easy to slip into uh, com- comedian mode and uh, accidentally roast a judge. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's not, amazing. Not, not saying that it's happened, but it's easy to slip into.
1: It's so hilarious, especially considering the theater of it mm-hmm. and the way I, I watched uh, a lot of the opioid trial. I watched a lot of the testimony in that. And it's always like, oh, no, judge. Oh, what do you think, judge? It's just very all about like mm-hmm. catering to that hierarchy and they're at the top of it. So that is, like, my favorite thing to imagine. In the background, you're like, ha-ha, you're a bitch. There,
2: <laughs> there is a story that I love. It, it's about an old attorney, and I don't remember exactly where they were. But their rule was, any time the judge said approach the bench, when they walked away from the bench, they would very loudly say, thank you, Your Honor. Now, what that did was, if they walked up to the bench and the judge looked at them and said, you can't do that, quit doing that, or I'm going to... Hold you in contempt of court. I'm going to throw you out of here, and your client's going to go to jail. They would then turn around and walk away, going, "Thank you, judge." It made everybody in the courtroom think, "Oh, they just won that
0: argument." Or (laughs) even when they got thrashed, you just what? Exactly, (laughs) exactly. Or even better, there is a story. (laughs) Oh, I love this story.
2: Oxford, Mississippi. There was an old attorney way back in the day, uh, defense attorney. Back when you could smoke in the courthouse, which in Mississippi I think was three years ago, but right. <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, uh, back when you could smoke in the courthouse, the prosecution puts on their case first. And so he would sit at the defense table and the prosecution would start their case and he would light up this big old cigar and he'd sit and smoke that cigar. And when he was questioning witnesses, he would used that cigar to point at things, but he would never ash that cigar.
3: Oh my god. that ash
2: would get longer and longer. And if if the prosecution was questioning a witness that they really needed, he would immediately start objecting and doing things that would shake his hand around. Everybody on that jury was watching that cigar and not paying any attention to the prosecution's case.
1: Oh my god.
2: <laughs> so when it came down to it, you know, he was getting wins because of the theater of it. Come to find out what he was doing was he was taking a uh, paper clip, straightening it out and sticking it down through that cigar That ash was never oh falling off Oh my god that oh is so god. fucking
1: brilliant Oh my god
2: Amazing and, and you wonder why people think lawyers are shysters
1: <laughs> Smart Yeah
2: I mean hey You're always
1: looking for a loophole That's right uh, Yeah I, that's hilarious <laughs> Brilliant.
2: So yeah I, I, I have clients Tell me the truth all the time And I, I appreciate that And I want them to do that because, because it, it makes very little difference in how I'm going to defend their case, whether they did it or not. Because, I, again, I'm not always, it may not come down to defending them specifically as much as it is
0: defending that the system followed its own rules. Yeah. What type of things do you consider when you're deciding whether or not to take a case? Uh, whether they have money.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's important. Great strategy.
0: Sadly,
2: I wish that were true. I have I have more billable more collectibles than I can count. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a pushover. Don't 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 listen to that. If you're calling me about a case, ignore that Slash. You will pay every penny. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I consider my communication with the person and their expectations. That's what I'm always working on is, do they have expectations that are potentially meetable Mm
3: -hmm.
2: or are their expectations so out of the realm of possibility that it does not matter what I do, they are not going to, they are not going to think I did my job.
1: Right. Right like i did this but i would like to go home tomorrow you're like okay well i don't know if i'm gonna take this exactly exactly because <laughs> it's just gonna be a headache the whole time
2: or or even worse is um i did this but so and 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 so did it too and they got off with like a day yeah well, i may not take a case because your expectations are that their cases are exactly like yours and they're not mm-hmm. you know i I tell people all the time, you know, do not trust the, the jailhouse lawyers, who the guys in jail who think they're lawyers because they know this or know that because they're wrong. They're wrong. And every case is different. Every case is unique. Just because, Just because your case appears on the face to be identical to another case and they got one year and you're looking at five, that does not mean that it's wrong.
1: No, because it's like a different prosecutor, different judge, different facts of the different case. Different facts of the case.
2: Different facts of the case. The littlest thing can make a huge difference. Mm-hmm. So so judging people's expectations is a big one. Um, that's, a, that's a big thing that I look at when I decide to take a case.
0: How do you prepare a client to go into court? Um they're not ready for theater no they are
2: they are generally not ready for theater um, and and generally speaking I don't want a client who is trying to make it theater mm. I want I want a client who who can be as real as possible because I want I want them to be human uh, especially in front of a jury I want I want to take it away from the The perpetrator, the perpetrator, the perpetrator, to Billy, who's sitting right here. I I want them to be human. So um, there, there's a lot that goes into discussing how to how to be a witness, how to be uh, how to answer questions that are asked, how to listen to questions that are asked. Um, That's that's a big thing. Is getting people to answer the questions that they're asked and not the questions that they're not asked. Uh, Just as you just asked me one question and I've rattled off 16 things that had tangentially (laughs) related to your question. People do that in life, so they do that in court. And that often will get you in more trouble than it will help because you're going to say something that's going to either confuse the jury you, you may say something that is 100% right, but the way it hits a jury's ears in that moment may be wrong. And so you, you prepare them to answer the question that's asked, not the question they think was asked. Mm-hmm. And not to try to guess where the prosecutor is going, guess where the question is going, and try to outthink the questioner because...
1: You're not going to. No, and they put a lot of thought into that line of mm-hmm. questioning and reasoning. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: don't try to get ahead of it. You exactly. can't do it in the moment. Exactly. They put a lot of intentional
0: thought into it. Yeah. And you mentioned how important it is to kind of humanize it so they're not you're the defendant, they're Joe. Right. Uh, is there an added level of difficulty to that when it's a sex crime that's on trial? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, because if if you are defending a male in a sex
2: crime – there is an assumption that they had the power with the jury. It just is. Right. There is, there is a natural assumption in human nature that they had the power. Um, so then you, you, you work on humanizing them so that the jury may be able to see themselves in that person.
0: Which is wild that part of your job is humanizing a rapist. Now, no. Go up. Go. Okay. No. An alleged. An alleged rapist.
2: <laughs> because because until they're convicted, they're not. And, and that and and that little bit of wording makes a huge difference. Yeah. Because because in in today's cancel culture, the charge of equals it was done. And and there are real life consequences for the charge, not for the proof, and that's an issue. Yeah, that's an issue. So, no, I, I am I am never defending a rapist.
0: I am defending an alleged rapist. And I want to go back to what you said earlier of, of the prosecution versus defense, making sure things are balanced. Because because as far as evil. they're concerned, everybody they charge
2: right. is guilty of
0: the crime. Right. And it's it's rough, like with those type of cases. Like it you've is, got, but you've got we have to have that, or it's you know the other way, and people are either getting away with everything or getting locked up for nothing. Exactly. Now, how kind of on that same subject, as a defense attorney, how do you cross-examine witnesses in a way that kind of helps your case, but is still reflect, reflect, uh, respectful to the alleged victim? It
2: goes to the theory of your case. You have to make a decision as to whether that witness, whether they're a victim or any other witness, is a sympathetic witness or a non-sympathetic witness. You mean sympathetic to the jury? Exactly. Okay. And, And there are times you absolutely want to be disrespectful to a witness you're cross-examining because you are working on the theory the legal theory that something that they are presenting is not accurate is not right is not true and you have to get downright ugly at times to get that across Other times, you want to be as respectful as possible. Um, You know, uh, I have have seen attorneys who, with regard to professional witnesses, they are extremely respectful because there's no reason to not be. This person's a professional. They're providing a professional opinion. You know, there may or may not be much to argue with in their professional opinion. But then it comes down to an eyewitness, and they will just, eat that eyewitness alive because they know that they
1: don't know how to testify like a i would assume it's it's not that they
2: know they don't know how to testify it's it's that it's that the theory of their case is this person is not giving accurate Mm -hmm. information
1: i bet that's so trick a tricky line like you're talking about when it's a rape victim Mm -hmm. and you're working with a jury so if you're beating up on them on the stand even if you're right like people, I imagine people have a very visceral reaction to that on the jury. They like, can. ooh, no! Stop.
2: They can. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely, absolutely. Um, and 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 in that in that respect, you know, with a with a victim of a sexual crime, yeah, you have to you have to walk on a little closer eggshells sometimes. Um, but you know, there are times that you have to go go hard.
1: Mm-hmm. You just have to. Well, because that's your ethical duty to provide a vigorous defense, right? Yeah.
2: Like, Yeah. Well, and and sometimes it takes that to get to a more truthful statement, mm-hmm. a more honest place. Sometimes you have to get ugly. I would rather the jury walk away, walk away disliking me than disliking my client.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. How, how does that, because you're kind of on the same team like you and your client. So how sure. how does that work where they where you might be in a situation where they think, well that guy's an asshole, but the client's okay.
2: Well, because because my, me being an asshole may have proven my case. And and the jury sitting there going, I would I would not want to be in the same room with that attorney. He's he's an asshole, he's a jerk, he is rude, he is belligerent, he's mouthy. But this guy didn't do it because this, 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 and this. I'm fine with that.
1: That's fair. Like, Uh, I am an asshole. (laughs) Ha-ha. But I won. Ha-ha.
2: That is is my wife's pet name for me. Asshole? Asshole, yeah. Uh, When when I went to law school, she had several friends of hers that were teachers. They were like, oh, no. Everybody we know whose husband went to law school while they were teaching Ended up divorced, and she goes, "Oh no, it's okay. He was an asshole before he went to law." school. <laughs> do you have a pet name for her? Uh, yes. You want to share it? Oh, I just call her beautiful. Oh, okay, okay, that works. Always has been. That's been from day one.
0: Uh, more CYA from the attorney. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just, that's, that's that's the nickname.
3: Uh,
0: uh, so sentencing. Yes. Uh, what what factors into that? Like, is, do you? First of all, there there is a minimum and maximum sentencing in most cases, right? Uh, I mean, this is a real vague paint with broad strokes question do you think our minimum maxing sentencing is fair or should we alter it it depends on the crime uh, yes and no yeah.
2: there there are some there are some crimes that carry minimums that make little sense uh, mostly uh, drug crimes uh, nonviolent crimes uh, there are some crimes whose minimums don't make any sense because they're too small Um I, I would have to get into the minutiae of, of, you know, charge by charge to answer that. Could be here another four hours with that. <laughs> four would be a small number. Uh, but, but, yeah, I think those are always working and always in flex. I think the difficulty with that is those are set by um, politicians, not by the people working in the trenches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it is easier to run for office hard on crime than perceptively soft on crime.
0: Do you think that that's has a negative impact on the judicial system? Absolutely.
1: And DAs like so I work in policy and like DAs have a lot of power. Oh yeah. yeah. In that conversation. Sure. And they benefit from saying like I got this conviction rate. But we don't know – what what value is that, right? right. What if you – what if 25% of those people didn't deserve to be convicted? Right. Like, that – to me, that's not, like, just on its face a 98% conviction rate. It's not necessarily a good thing.
2: Yeah. No, I, I hate it when – I hate it when people from either side of the aisle, uh, prosecutors or defense attorneys, start spouting their conviction or their um, – or, or their – dismissal rates hate it mm-hmm. because because what that tells me is all you're looking at is the bottom line and that is not the right way to handle this mm-hmm. because every case is unique um, but unfortunately for for the people that are voting on the politicians they need a metric and and they can't dig into each and every case like that. Mm-hmm. And, and so, I, you know, it, it's difficult not to provide a metric like that when that's what people know and understand or think they understand.
0: Right. <laughs> we get back to oversimplifying things. Exactly. Well, they, they locked up all the bad guys. He's a good one. Yep. And yeah. not necessarily true.
1: <laughs> like Jesus Christ.
2: John but when it comes to a lot of these crimes, uh, the, the sentencing guidelines can be generally fairly broad. Uh, you oftentimes find guidelines from 5 to life which you think about that that's a significant difference yeah you know jesus um that would be it's almost meaningless 32 years <laughs> 5 to jesus would be 32 oh, okay there years. we go um <laughs> sorry <laughs> smart ass uh, <laughs> um so yeah so you know there There is a lot of leeway in there because there are a lot of factors and every case is going to be unique. And you don't want to put ridiculously high minimums in case you have that case, that one case where somebody needs to serve the minimum possible because they did it and they have done everything in their power to either correct it or whatever. I'm not talking specifically about sexual crime, but a crime in general. Right. You know they—they have—they, you know, they did it. They owned up to it. Whatever the mitigation factors are, they should be down here. Whereas you've got the other guy who, you know, he did it. It's his third time doing it, he, you These know, three strikes
1: laws. Yeah, did it and loved I mean,
0: it. Way, way up here. Yeah, mm-hmm. way up here. Do you see a? How much variance is there from judge to judge in terms of sentencing? Oh, significant. There's there's significant variance from
2: prosecutor to prosecutor in what offers you're going to get. There's significant variance county to county in how, you know, somebody on this side of the street commits a crime and they're going to get a weekend in jail, somebody on the other side of the street may serve a year just because of the county they're in it's, and the way it the way it's handled.
1: Trying to standardize the justice system, it's like it feels impossible. It is impossible. It is
2: impossible. Yeah. It's and, impossible. And in my opinion, it should be impossible because every case is unique.
1: Mm-hmm. And when we try and we have these mandatory minimums and blah, blah, blah like that seems to be its own clusterfuck. Sure. Sure. <laughs> like, I'm just like, oh, God, what do we do?
2: Sure, because then you have to start <clears throat> looking at why this minimum for this crime and that minimum for that crime. Why, you know, and it goes back to the classic. Why was it a different minimum sentence for powder cocaine and crack cocaine?
1: Mm -hmm. The color of the people who were using it.
2: Well, that's one theory. There are other theories, but that's one theory. Mm -hmm. And so, you know. I would throw in income level, has a lot
0: to do with it, too.
2: (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. (laughs) So, you know, so to standardize all of that, you, you have to standardize some of it just to make the system work. Mm-hmm. But any standardization you do inherently is makes the system less
0: accurate. Well, we've covered a lot. We <laughs> have. We've talked about a lot of stuff. Uh, we've covered victims coming out, and believe her, I think... Uh, what we've learned or what I've learned from this, I think what we can all agree on is that when you hear a case, rather than assuming she's lying or assuming he's guilty, look for facts. Correct. That's where we need and, and we've got and there's also a lot of reports about how uh, how many rape kits we have that are not used. Uh, right. Yeah, I yeah. think that's I mean obviously something that can be significant yeah. across the board. Especially sure. cases when you're
1: talking like about this. how someone went through all of that shit. Right. And, and then for nothing yeah. it's just sitting there like
0: as, as emotional, emotional as, you, as this trends, is, calm down and look for the facts.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it's, and, and it's difficult because it's easy to get those emotions tied in. It and, is.
1: like, we are not the judge, jury, and executioner. It's okay just to say you don't know and you don't have enough facts to make an opinion about it.
2: Yeah. it feel would okay be, being
1: in the gray. It
2: would be so much better if people would do that. But people are so convinced that they know one way or the other. Mm-hmm. And, and if people would just be honest and
0: go, you know. I just don't know. Well if someone needs a defense attorney, where can they find Clint Parsons? Uh that Esquire. would be, that would be uh probably
2: uh uh online. Uh I, my my email is attorney at Cr dot com. Or not sorry, I'm sorry, crparsons.net. dot net.
0: Yeah, don't um, don't accidentally find porn. Yeah, no, no, no don't do that. <laughs> um
1: Your dad's gonna get super mad at you, I can <laughs> attest
0: to that. I uh I, I, have, I have
2: done a very horrible job of keeping a website up to date. In fact, I think it's down at the moment, so I don't have a website. Uh, but I can be called. Uh, my office is readily available online. It's 582... No, sorry. nine one eight five eight. 58 Dadgum. I don't call myself. 918-582-5444. 5444, yeah. Uh, look me up online. It's
0: Clint Parsons, attorney. Uh, you'll find a phone number. And what if someone wants a comedian, where can they find C.R. Parsons? Oh, that's much easier, uh,
2: <laughs> because that's, that's what I want people to find. Uh, C.R.Parsons.com is my comedy site. Uh, it is in beta, but it is up there. Uh, I'm available on Facebook, C.R. Parsons Comedian, Twitter, C.R. Parsons Comedy. Instagram C.R. Parsons Comedy Snapchat not at all because I want to stay married um, <laughs> I'm on Snapchat I just don't use Snapchat Do I,
1: I you have any gigs coming up?
2: I do I've got lots of gigs coming up i got to look at my phone to answer that question because it's
1: so many bookings well, I have I like just, one I've got, so. I've got
2: a lot of things uh, when is this coming out or do you guys know? I don't think we know yet Okay, but we'll let you It'll know.
1: either be tomorrow or next Tuesday. Yeah. Okay. No it's next Tuesday yeah
2: Okay, uh, so you can ignore this Wednesday and Thursday, uh, where I will be here in Tulsa and in Ardmore. Um, next week, uh, next Sunday night, I'm on Talk Show Incorporated with Landry Miller on the 22nd. I am playing in a Red Dirt music band. If you don't know what that is, that's country. Uh, at Louis 2 on the 26th, I am also playing at the Hearts of Steel Foundation uh, dinner on... Friday, I have a, I'm playing for a private gig uh, with the Red Dirt Band, and then on the first weekend, full weekend I've got of comedy stuff and music stuff is Oktoberfest coming up 17th through 19th. I know that's a lot of stuff. Nobody's writing this down. I don't know why I go through all of that. Uh, Go to Facebook.
0: I put that stuff on Facebook all the time and try to keep people up to date and uh, find me there. And you can find us at shamebusters on Twitter, because mm-hmm. sometimes I get Facebook banned by promoting this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, we're on Instagram, Lauren. Yeah,
1: uh, digital underscore intercourse
0: and if on you wanna, Instagram. If you want to see your boy Tom King perform live, you can come to the IDL Ballroom downtown Tulsa, Oklahoma, Saturday, September the 28th for OK So Story Slam Risque. We're going to be telling all sorts of kinky and non-monogamy sex stories, a whole kinky, wild, hard-to-believe sex story cast. Nice. And I'll be there, so come hear all the weird things I have to say. Lauren, you got anything coming up?
1: Um, I am on the... So, download the Soundstooth app, first of all, if you have not. And I am on the one-year anniversary of the Talk Show Incorporated show, Landry Miller's Sunday night show here in Tulsa. You guys, if you have not checked that out, it's most Sunday nights at 8 p.m. It is wild fun. You never know what you're going to get. Um, So I'm doing that show, but check that out regardless if you make it in the future. Check
0: that out and check us every week right here on the shame-busting podcast from the buckle of the Bible Belt digital intercourse. No claim is made that the quality of entertainment provided by digital intercourse is greater than the quality of entertainment provided by other podcasts. (laughs) Nice.